welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's a Sunday morning gathering. I am glad that you all took the time to come through here and to be with us today. It is an awesome privilege and an honor um, for us to be able to, even in the midst of the pandemonium and pandemic, that we're able in some way, shape or form to gather and connect together. Um, this day, we I want you to uh, uh, buckle your seatbelts continuously in prayer for all that God wants to do in eradicating the uh, pandemic, giving us perspective in the midst of the pandemic, and also bringing us back together. Be praying about how we would come back together. Uh, we're praying and thinking about what that'll look like uh, over the next few months, how we can uh, come together in a way that keeps everyone safe and keeps our team safe, particularly. We're, our biggest concern, to be honest, is for those who would be serving. And so what would be the dynamics of how we would do that? And if you could keep that, that lifted up in prayer uh, and, and, uh, and everything, it would be great. But we're, we'll be working on protocol and things that we would have in place for how we would gather and how that will work in order to keep you safe, one another safe, but yet us to be able to come together and worship our God. I hear from so many people, man, I miss the church. I miss gathering. I, I definitively miss it. My wife and I miss it. Our children miss it. Our children, um, for her, for them, they don't know anything else. And so they really, really love Epiphany Fellowship. They love church. They love people in the church. And so I hear that from so many people. Even their kids are saying, I'm ready to go back. I'm ready to go back and let them know uh, to pray. Right? Have them pray with you with that. And let's keep all of this in mind as uh, we uh, look at what it looks like to come together as the body. Amen. Well, um, we are still in our series on uh, order in the church, order in the church. Turn with me to First Timothy chapter three, verses 18 through 13. First Timothy chapter th- uh, three, verses 18 through 13. It reads like this. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too must be worthy of respect, not slanderous, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children, their own children, and their households competently. For those who serve, or those, yeah, those who serve well, who have served well, as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. Great boldness that is in Jesus Christ. I would like to talk about in our time today, if we can tag our text, I'd like to talk about today uh, uh, the character of a servant leader. The character of a servant leader. Let's go before God. Lord, 
uh, there is potency in our society where the society is looking for leadership. And as the society is looking for leadership, um, I think in some ways they're looking for someone to save us and no one will come save us except for you. And so, God, I just pray that you would help us to see how the church is supposed to be a mirroring picture of you, particularly in how its leadership is structured and how its leadership is functioning, but also, Lord, how its leadership actually is. Let the words of my mouth and of my meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen, 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 amen. Servant leadership, the character of a servant leader. One of the things that I know that many of you watched the presidential debate uh, the other night, I, I can only look at a little bit of it, it's, but so much uh, I can take. And I just think, you know, it was, it was an interesting time of what I was able to get because I knew that my timelines on every single social media platform would pretty much be filled with everything from memes to clips to uh, assessments, if you will, and critiques uh, for what was said. I, I, I don't believe in my time that I've watched debates, and I've been watching debates since the 70s, I guess, at least. At least the one I remember was the last one I think was Carter. Uh, the first one, not the last one. The first one was Carter and then so on and so forth, Reagan and the, the Bushes and you know, Clinton's all, 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 all the way through the, the, the timeline, if you will. And when you look at the type of communication that is happening today and the type of things that people are looking for, um, people are looking for those who lead to be actual leaders or servant leaders. And servant leaders for many people mean a lot of different things. For some people, being a servant leader means serving their personal interests. In other words, um, well, everybody, that's what it means, our personal interests and national interests, if you will. And so if you look at the right, they're looking uh, for those who are, are, are going to serve, you know, issues that pertain uh, to the impact of abortion and also, covertly, if they be honest, the economics of those who are in a little bit of a higher tax bracket. On the on the left hand side, if you will, uh, there's a desire for uh, people to look after the interests of. I, I would say some they would put so many things under the umbrella of different justice issues, whether it's what they view the family as being uh, more diverse than the, than the nuclear family or whether they're looking at freedom of choice or whether they're looking at what they would say is the mattering of issues concerning African-Americans, even issues with immigration. Um, you know, and whatever that means in relation to uh, spiritual leadership or, or well, servant leadership, it is. Ser everybody has the view of what a servant leader is. One of the things that I like, though, about Scripture is Scripture helps streamline and frame us in what servant leadership should actually look like and, 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 and where it starts. Because whether you looked at the debate or not or you saw some clips from it, one of the things that I can say without beating any of the candidates up, because I'm going to pray for both of them, I'm not going to feed into those who already hate Trump. I'm not a fan either, but I'm not a Biden fan either. And I'm not, a, so, so for me, I, I don't, 
I'm not both of them on both sides have done things in my mind that didn't seem like servant leadership things that they said. Right. Um, we've seen uh, Trump in leadership. We've seen Biden uh, pass in leadership, but not in public kind of the front line leadership. And he said some things that are concerning to me as well. However, um, again, I don't know if we see. Of, uh, 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 characteristics, particularly of people who call themselves Christians, what we would say is servant leadership. And again, I'm not dogging either one of them. Uh, leadership is a high level of, uh, of, of responsibility. I know a little bit about that. But one of the things that I think that we should be looking for in leaders, I think the qualities that we're about to dive into in this passage are good gauges, not just for the church, but for the world. I mean, the the, uh, the 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 Bible God God always has good ideas about stuff. I don't know if you knew that, but God has some good ideas about how things should go and how people should act. And every now and then, if you just peek in on some of it, if you just say, "Hey, I'm just going to see what God has to say about leadership," because many of us have preferential views of what we want in leadership. But the question is, what does God say leadership should be like? So the character of the servant leader. So we come in this passage again. And we are looking at the role that we looked last week at the role of the overseer slash bishop slash pastor slash shepherd, whichever word you want to use, the elder. We looked at that view, and I think it was great to look at the view of most of the characteristics were of leadership in that passage were actually character things in very few competency things. And we see that again here in this passage. We see here in this passage that most of it is competency, uh, uh, the character things, not competency things. And so when you look at the book of First Timothy, one of the things that you'll see as an overarching principle in leadership in scripture and in Timothy is, and I got this, uh, and we've been utilizing this definition of leadership for years. Leadership is taking the initiative for the benefit of others. Leadership means to take initiative for the benefit of others. That means in leadership, there's a level of sacrifice. There's some things that you're going to have to do without in order that others can do with. <laughs> Amen, somebody. In other words, in leadership, taking the initiative isn't you're waiting on people. You're, you're, you're being motivated by someone else's need. And, 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 and without them having to move your direction, you're willing to get them, you're willing to move their direction in order to see their circumstances change, in order to see their life change, in order to see their mind change. See, leadership is a, is a massive mantle because the, the massivity of the mantle of leadership is a demand to look out for others. And sometimes that impacts how you look out for yourself. But for a real leader, you want others to be good, even if some stuff with you ain't good. And I'm not talking about character, though, because this passage beautifies this reality. And as we talk about order in the church, <clears throat> there are two main offices in the church, elder, deacon. Um, we know that there are a multiplicity of ecclesiologies out there. Um, that have, you know, apostles and uh, as, as kind of this person that goes around. And then you have the bishop that's kind of over groups of leaders and pastors, if you will. Um, and, 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 and I think there's some validity to the bishop model. Um, I won't talk about that now, but I do think that there's some validity to that as movements grow because pastors need shepherds. But that's something that the early church did. We're not going to get into that. But I think when we talk about one of the things that I don't think 
a lot of people in the church today. I think the Eastern church understands it better than us. I don't think the Western church really understands for the most part. What, what is a deacon? Like, I, 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 I don't know if we know and we understand and we kind of wrap our mind around. What is a deacon? Is it a board that fights the pastor? Is, you know, um, um, is it the person that got all the keys on his hip that, that, can, that can unlock everything? Is it the people that sit in a certain section? And I'm against traditional church, so don't hear me ragging on the traditional church. But I don't know if historically... I've known what many tasks of deacons were. There were deacons that did different care uh, things, pastoral care things. And so I think that we need to get some clarity on what do these servant leaders look like and what do they do and what's their character like? And so so let's look at verse 8. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect. Uh, 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 uh. Now, the word deacons or uh, diaconate or a diaca, uh, 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 the, the idea of, uh, of deacon is an interesting word. It just means servant. Now, the idea of deacon is really a word that's, that, that we can translate minister. Minister. So I know, I know some of y'all from, from the Baptist church background or the, or the Pentecostal background, when someone gets a calling to preach, when they get their first sermon, after that, they are licensed to preach, and they are now called Minister uh, uh, Joe or Minister Jeanette, you know? So, so you get your ministry license, right? Um, but here in the passage, one of the things that I want to continue to shape us around is not having the diaconate built around initiating just around preaching and a particular gift, but a particular character that can go anywhere, so when you look at this right here, when it talks about deacon, uh, uh, um, um, this idea, can, uh, de- the word deacon in the New Testament could be used without an office. That person's a good deacon. Didn't mean that they were necessarily in an office, but it, it, it had the disposition of serving and taking the initiative for the benefit of others. That, that's, that's the nature of it. And so we talk about the, the ways in which deacon is used in the New Testament. It's used, you can, you, can, you, can, you can see it in Philippians 1, 1. you can see it in Romans 16, 1. Uh, you can see it in Ephesians 6, 21. You can see it in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 and verse 12. You see the word deacon used in a multiplicity of ways. However, the deacon is a different office that's distinguished from the office of the overseer. So one of the things when we look at this idea of deacon, we'll come back to this when we talk about testing so that I can help you through what testing looks like and what deaconing looks like. But one of the first qualities, which is the same quality as an elder, is worthy of respect. Worthy of respect means being worthy of esteem or respect, especially on account of one's behavior. Help me today. In other words, you you, you know when somebody's worthy of respect because they carry themselves in a particular way that sets boundaries for how you treat them. That's so good. In other words, the way you act, the way you talk, and even sometimes the way you dress can send signals to people what they can and can't say to you. See, 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 uh, see a deacon is supposed to be, a, I'm not saying you got to wear a dress from your neck to your ankles or you got to wear a suit every day, but there's a dignity about how you, uh, your disposition in which 
people demand respect. The way you talk should have some type of veracity around it where you're not buffoon about buffoonery and coarse jesting all the time <laughs> to the point to where people only, when the first thing they come around you is they start joking. No, a, a person that, <clears throat> and that doesn't mean you're serious all the time. It just means that you are a person that you demand order and respect in your vicinity. Yeah. I remember my mama, you know, when I was growing up, my mama was the block mother. She was the block mother. Now, I don't know that some of y'all ain't grew up in the city, don't know what a block mother is, but a block mother is the inferential person that is the person of dignity on the block that everybody goes to for advice. Matter of fact, the adults go to borrow sugar and eggs from them. Y'all don't know nothing about that. When you run out of sugar, eggs, and flour, you go to that person. Anyway, um, a, a person you go to for advice because they have a stability about them to where they enjoy life, but they have a stability about them that person looks at them and says, I, 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 they are, they, the way they are, they have some stuff that I want to get from them, and therefore, I want to lean into them to get what they got. And my mother was that type of person, respectable. A, a, a person that it wants to be in ministry, you got to be respectable. That means if you want to be in ministry, you, 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 because, because, because ministry, and this is being in ministry, being a deacon, being in ministry, uh, changes how people view you, whether you like it or not. Change how people view you, whether you like it or not. <clears throat> and there is a demand that should be on you <clears throat> because all, although all believers represent God, there's a spotlight representation that's put on people who are called leaders. And you can't say, oh, I don't like it being a leader because you don't come into leadership. No coming to leadership if you're going to whine about the expectations. There will be times you'll have hard times. <clears throat> it makes sense, but there are expectations out of you, right? That means you, you, you can't cuss people out like you used to. Huh? Huh? You know, some of y'all, some of y'all, y'all, some of y'all swift with the lip. Uh-huh. You know, you, you, you have to, you have to have a different disposition. You, you can't talk to women like you used to. Now, as a matter of fact, it's not just used to. It should predate your deaconing so that you have character. Deacon doesn't make you have character. If you don't have a character before you get the title, after you get the title, it's going to just accentuate your lack of character. So you should be worthy of respect. See, <clears throat> one of the things about choosing leaders, I choose leaders about who they are. Now, who they're going to be now, I choose who they're going to be based on their gifting, but who you are in your character, leadership, oh my God, only magnifies your ability to be seen as if you, if you are, if you are a micro fool as a regular person, when you become a leader, you become a big fool because now you're on a platform to spread foolishness. Help me today. <clears throat> so therefore, now we have to, we, uh, but prior to leadership, we say, who's actually deaconing? Who's actually eldering? In other words, I'm only adding the title to a person that's functionally already doing it and being it, right? And so when you look at <clears throat> worthy of respect, when we look at the presidential debate, you know, I mean, <laughs> is that worthy of respect? Is that worthy of respect? You're talking about somebody's kid. <laughs> man, is that worthy of respect? I'm not talking about voting. All I'm talking about is, is that worthy of respect? <clears throat> now, let's ask this question. In any of our political leaders or leaders out there, 
whenever they have bad character and treatment of people, does it show itself up in their competency? Listen to me. Bad character always affects execution of competency. Please hear me there. Bad character always affects the execution of competency, even if the person is extremely gifted. You can be extremely gifted, but you can be a word I can't say in the pulpit. See, I'm trying to keep my qualifications right. But y'all, y'all, the word came to your mind. It's King James version words. I'll just say that. If you become that, and then what begins to happen is when you have no character, people begin to not like your gift. I got to move. I, I, that's why you got to be worthy of respect. But not only worthy of respect, the text says not hypocritical. This is dope. Um, it, the, the word can be translated double-tongued. <laughs> Or insincere speech is a definition, right? I like the way the, 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 the lexicon says it. It says insincere speech on account of equivocable or dupliciousness. <laughs> so in, in, other, in other words, you say one thing and do another. One of the things that this is a sign of, if you're hypocritical in leadership, you'll be unstable. Because the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So <laughs> double tongue, the tongue does, is not where the information starts. The, the information starts in the mind and makes its way out here. That means you see hypocritical leadership, what, they'll, what a hypocritical leader will do is say anything to anybody so that people won't feel bad about them. In other words, when you're self-centered, and you're insecure, you're always trying to make sure that people view you in a particular way. And so you, at the expense of truth, at the expense of character, and even at the expense of other people, you'll say whatever needs to be said to the other people. But listen, hypocritical leadership always catches up with you because if you get the person over here that you said something to, and you get the person over here that you said something to, and they get together and the thing sounds different, then now you gotta stand in front of both of them people and try to synchronize the mess. And But you know, a hypocritical leader will try to still fix it instead of repenting. See, hypocritical, uh, biblical leaders aren't double-tongued, we one-tongued. See, you find the characteristic by flipping the script. One tongue means this is what I said, this is biblical, and this is what truth. And you deal with the hits from the people that disagree with you, and you deal with the people, and you deal with the hits from the people that agree with you, disagree with you, or agree with you. You have to be able as a leader to be okay with people not liking you sometimes. And because I'm not talking about you going out there being a jerk. I'm saying biblically, you have to be able to walk out godly leadership so that you're not flipping the script, living one way outside and living another way. That doesn't mean you don't have a sanctification process that's outside of your leadership mantle. Every all because we lie if God, we didn't recognize that God was working on all of us. <laughs> However, hip, hypocrisy isn't the absence of. It, it, uh, uh, not, hip, uh, not hypocritical doesn't mean the absence of flaws. It means the ability. See, see, it's the ability to deal with the flaws you have and admit them. 
See, a hypocritical person act like they don't have anything. A, a, a person that walks in truth will say, you know what? I do do this sometimes, or I got issues, this stuff. But uh, you, da, 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 da. a hypocrite, uh, the problem with a hypocrite is they try to act like they have characteristics developed in them by God that hasn't been worked on yet. Help me today, people of God. In other words, the idea of non-hypocritical means sincere. Simple. Authenticity. You're authentic as a leader. Now, authentic doesn't mean you tell everything on your mind. Because some of us think authenticity is just to, everybody don't need to hear everything that's on your mind. Hear me today. Right? Um, and that's why you got to be temperate. That's why the next one's called not drinking a lot. <coughs> now, uh, I know some ministries have non-drinking policies. I'm going to deal with this because I probably need to just deal with it. Um, we don't have a non-drinking policy. We, 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 we're not going to say we believe in drinking either. That just sounds crazy. Um, but, but we do believe that the Bible teaches moderation. So in teaching moderation, the point of this is a leader shouldn't have anything in their life that causes them to lose control. Because when you lose control in one area of your life, you're losing control in other areas of your life. And so, and so, and so the issue is some people think that it's healthy to have a non-drinking policy as a part of leadership. I, I just don't know if that's a good, I, I think for an alcoholic, it should be a non-drinking policy. However, I think it, you got to be very, very careful of making righteousness based on certain things. Now, if your mission field, it impacts your mission field, stuff like that. Then you got to take those things into account. But I wanted to just address that really, really quickly. Because I know in this generation, you know, white folk, our white siblings, they drinkers. They're going to drink. So it wouldn't, you can go to their small group and they got stuff out. You know, it's, uh, you know I remember when I first experienced that, I was kind of thrown off. I was like, wow. Cats, cats doing shots before prayer. You know, I'm not saying that's what they're doing. I'm just being facetious, but it was just kind of, that's what it felt like. Even wine felt like, oh, we just sailors, right? <laughs> um, but as I was around them, I saw this moderation that didn't look like the other side. Then now, the millennials, y'all, y'all a different generation. You know, y'all gonna have y'all yakawisms. I'm just, you know, you know what I've said about that. So just be godly with your, you know, there you go. Not greedy for money. Um, sometimes there are deacons or leaders, servant leaders that have to be around money. And, and, if, and you got to have some people around that you can trust financially. You know, like, like, like if you're a ministry leader in certain churches and ministries and even this ministry, you have, a, you have a card that you get that's based on your smart goals and based on, you know, stuff that you budgeted for for ministry, right? And you are given the freedom, particularly as a deacon, to utilize that card within the budgetary amount. And there is an expense report every month that is written in our uh, expense system that is tracked by our financial man. All those different things. You, be a deacon. You can't be talking about, I'm, you know, I'm using my card on, you know, whatever else. You know, that, that's not what we do. In other words, let me use it on here until the money hits my account. Then I reimburse the ministry. That's, that's not how we do. If there's something accidental to happen, we understand that. But, but, but what we don't do is we don't go theft international ministries. Amen. So, so, but, 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 but the idea of this is shamefully greeting. Now, look at what verse 9 says. Verse 9 is interesting because it helps us to, it, it, it begins to get 
character theological. In other words, it begins to help us as believers to see that you can't have character and lack theology. You, you cannot have character and theology. In other words, theology defines and gives course and conscience to your character. And, and, so, and, so, and so, in other words, it's the ruling God for the soul. So look at what verse 9 says. It says, holding the mystery of the faith. Ah, I like that. When Paul says the faith in the pastoral epistles, the, the faith in the pastoral epistles, family of God, are, are those things that are the fundamental orthodox truths of the church that are the passed down teachings from Jesus to the apostles and the apostles to, uh, 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 to the early church fathers and from the uh, early church fathers to the apologists and to the apologists, the theologians, and all the way down through the ecclesiological line of history. Those things are things that we utilize as guide measures to say if somebody's on point or not, right? So a deacon is supposed to hold the mystery. Now, when you see the mysterion, that's some beautiful stuff. The old church used to call it Old Testament concealed, New Testament revealed. I like that. They loved it. They, they had great, the old church had great ways of making complex ideas of continuity seem so simple. And so the idea of mysterion, there's this sense in which Tanakh or uh, Torah, Ketuvim, and Nevi'im, the uh, Old Testament as we would call it. Um, there, there was a sense family in which there was mystery, even though God did reveal things in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, you'll see several places where Paul talks about the mystery. And one of the biggest mysteries in the New Testament is the mystery of the gospel. It wasn't that the gospel wasn't in the Old Testament. This is very important for you to understand as a deacon. If you checked out, you can't lead. Right there, you just can't lead. If you check out when theology starts happening, you shouldn't be in leadership. All right, here we go. <laughs> um, so when you look at the idea of mystery, mystery is the fact that God gave breadcrumbs of what he wanted, what he was going to do, but didn't fully unveil the basket of bread. So what God would do is he'll put an Isaiah 53 in there saying he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of his peace have upon him and by his stripes we were healed. He'll say, I'll raise up a shepherd like me who will shepherd the flock for real. I'll raise up a shepherd like Moses. He'll put uh, wood on the back of Isaac as he goes up a hill and lays down and his dad is about to kill him. And then there's a ram in the book. That, that's mystery. That's the, the mystery. But, but in the New Testament, it says, it, 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 uh, uh, oh, let me go back to the Old Testament. So it'll say, for under us a child is born. For under us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting now. Father. Prince of Peace. I wish I had an organ right there. But let me tell you something, family. That's, that's the mystery concealed. But then over here, you have the mystery revealed. <laughs> you have a mystery revealed, and then all of a sudden, uh, you, you, you'll see in Haggai that there was a baby that was in there, and, 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 and the baby, oh, oh, it, it, it said, oh, it says, it says, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. In Ezekiel, you'll see that the glory left the house, so when is the glory coming? Then you'll see in Luke, you'll see a baby pity patter into this temple, and it's Christ, the mystery revealed. 
It'll say in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. When you talk about mystery reveal, you as a deacon have to hold to the mystery with a good conscience. Hold to the mystery of Christ. Now, what's the mystery of Christ? That God became flesh. Now, a man was created in eternity past and became flesh. That's called Arianism. See, a deacon needs to be able to understand that and be able to say, no, First John says, you're supposed to hold to this, that Jesus Christ, if you say Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh, Jesus Christ is what? Yahshua HaMashiach, God in the flesh. The person is not from God, and that's another spirit. Deacons are supposed to be able to discern that. I can go on and on and on. But you're supposed to hold to the faith with a good conscience. With a good conscience. You're supposed to be able to say, without any, and, and, and listen, if there are any faith gaps, you need to do research. Shoot. Don't sit around wondering, you know, and looking at memes and YouTube and stuff trying to figure your theology out. You better pick up a Bible and get some resources. And what you begin to do is you begin to study and when did, when did this happen, all of this stuff? Because that's what it means as a believer to hold to the mystery of the faith with a good conscience. In other words, you don't sign off on the church's doctrinal statement for, for politics for the position, but because of the person in your soul. That's why, right? Look at verse 10. This is where it gets interesting. It says they must be tested. Now, this is, a, this is something that happens with deacons that's not mentioned among elders. Never say the elders. That means this deacon position is, is important. Now, why is the deacon role very important? The deacon role is very important because the, the, biblically and historically, the deacon is the front line of the church. When you, you, and, and I'll explain that in a second. <clears throat> is the front line of the church because you have to be tested because sometimes deacons have more frequency with the flock than the shepherd. It's very important to understand. If you look back over in Acts 6, Paul, Peter and them was feeding tables and everything, and they were, they were trying to find time to get in the word and pray. And they, Philip, Stephen, and others were chosen so that they can serve tables and be a mechanism of justice in that community. We'll talk about that later. And when those deacons were raised up, it freed the eldership up. It freed the apostles up. It freed the pastors up to do the core competencies that the church needed, which was prayer and the word of God. Uh, because in prayer, you get breakthrough. In prayer, the church moves forward. In prayer, shackles are broken. In the word, truth is spread. In, pre in preaching, uh, uh, the gospel is proclaimed. In preaching, souls are saved. In preaching, souls are sanctified. In preaching, people are stabilized. In, in preaching, vision happens. But if they would have tried to wait tables, which they were willing to do, but it didn't mean it was below them. It just means that in order to do what they can only do to do the best thing that the church needed based on God's appointing of where they were, they needed some other people to take up the other stuff in order to make sure that that stuff didn't get done because it was important, but it wasn't of first importance. And so guess what? They went in and they began to serve and they began to help the widows and they began to serve tables, but these weren't like, they, they knew their Bible while they were serving tables. And so you, you being tested, you know, <clears throat> the Bible talks about prove, they got to prove themselves blameless. 
Uh, if, if you're not, see, see when I give it, uh, your pastor, you know, we, we got this, you know, everybody want to be a boss mentality. So when you got everybody want to be a boss mentality, everybody don't want to be a servant. Because we, we don't realize that many of us have been trained to be anti-servant leaders. So anytime you have authority over you, you're going to listen to the breakfast club with certain former CEOs of rap labels is getting up on there and telling you, I'm a boss, you know, and talking all that boss talk, right? And they're saying, if you work for somebody, how would you know all that? And then what happens is, is it sounds good to not work for nobody, but you don't realize that if you're a believer, you always work for somebody. But the other side of it is this, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being an entrepreneur, is that you have to be able, in order to lead, you have to have had followed. Because the way you steward your followership is how strong or lack of strength you're going to be when you get in leadership. Your followership dictates the potency of your leadership. So Luke chapter 16 says, Luke chapter 16 says something interesting. It says, it talks about the unjust steward. And, and Jesus, Jesus says something. He says, the, the, the sons of this world are more knowledgeable to come in their own kind than the sons of light. But, and then he, then he, but then he says something interesting. He says, how will God give you your own if you don't help another with theirs? In other words, Jesus is teaching a principle that when you don't help others with what they're trying to build, when you try to build your own, what you gave to that leader, you will get from those who you try to lead. So you got to steward where God has you, no matter where God has you. And this is for everybody. You got to learn to steward every season as if it's your last season, as if it's your best season, as if it is the superstar championship of your spiritual life. Why? Because those are testing periods that God uses as ways to develop character and heart in you, in your competencies. But your competencies, although they're being developed, God is also more so developing your character because God can use somebody better with less competency and more character than somebody with more char less character and more competency. It's very important. So they must be tested. <laughs> they must be scrutinized and proved. So you might have to get some tasks you don't like. But guess what? That's the way God works things. One of the things I looked at, I mean, you, you see those dudes, examples of deacons. <clears throat> Real quick, you'll see in Acts 6.3, 6, rather. Philip, Stephen, all those cats. <clears throat> Primaeus, Timon, all them. You see Phoebe mentioned as a deaconess in, six, uh, in Acts um, in Romans 16, 2, 16, 1 or 2. But from a practical standpoint, what do deacons do? <laughs> really, really quickly, we'll jump through a few things because I think we've hit some good high points in this. Um, <clears throat> I, I, you know, sometimes we don't recognize <clears throat> that in the Bible, the, the Bible gives us the character and, and, and really general competencies so it gives us all the character stuff, but it doesn't always give us all a laid out functional kind of linear, this is what's supposed to be being done in this particular role, particularly when it comes to ecclesiology. Why? <clears throat> because you'll know what the do nots are. 
and you'll know some of the core do's. But one of the things that you won't always know is what this is exactly look like. And I believe based on the scripture, it, and, and when you look at church history, is that function can be malleable based on the missiological context. It's very important. So with the, what do I mean by that? So a deacon, what they do changes based on the specific needs of that ecclesia, based on that specific context. So the role of a deacon is to take off the plate of the core leadership of the church, the elders, particularly the senior pastor leader, particularly the senior pastor leader, the, 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 you to take and, and, and the community of elders taking off their plate the things that are necessary to be done but not needed for the leader to do. That's important. That's what we see in Acts 6. That's what we see in history. I looked at the Orthodox Church, and we don't agree with them on a lot of stuff, um, but, but, but this is some, their deacon thing is robust in the mug. Like, their deacons, they deacons. They deacons like a mug. When I say they deacons, they deacons. Listen to this. It says, assisting their bishop, assisting with liturgy and worship, with music, church order. Deacons even know how to write liturgy? Now, when you talk about writing liturgy, you mean, you know, when you're in the old church and they say they had the responsive reading, that was written in their church, it's written by deacons, not by pastors. That means they had enough theology to write liturgy. They did, they did teaching, <coughs> they did preaching, they did pastoral care, they do philanthropy. This is dope. They do theological education, spiritual direction, pastoral counseling, administration, monastic engagement. Hospitals, they built help with hospitals, worked in nursing homes, hospice chaplaincies, prison ministry, facilitating ministry to shut-ins, orphans, poor, destitute. I could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. In other words, what are those needs, some of the needs that elders and pastors do do, but then as a church grows, you need more leaders that are appointed to be able to facilitate those other things that can't be done by the eldership. Because we don't view de deacons are have a have a pastoral gift without the office sometimes, and so that's why deacons sometimes the way we use it in the West, deacons in the East is a minister of the gospel. They just don't have the office of the lead uh, of the overseer than the elders. And so one of the ways that we need to begin to change that is some people will be calling them deacons, some minister kind of thing, and it will have some licensing component around it. We want to start boring down on that because it's very, very important that people know that there are pathways in the ministry and roles without them having to take on the pastoral responsibility because a lot of people don't recognize. Some people want to be in ministry. I remember this old head told me this. He said, Eric, everybody doesn't want to be a pastor. He says, people just want to have pastoral impact. That was, that was I, I never, ever forgot, forgot that. He said, you got to discern between the people that have the ability to actually lead the visionary mantle and the structural and developmental mantle to work in and on the church. And then those who their role is more so, they really want to just engage. They, everybody wants to, because you got to love people to be, but some people just want to, they don't want to do, they don't want to be up front. They want to spend the majority of their time uh, in the middle of the flock helping in different ways and out in society helping in different ways with the mission of the church moving forward. We have two levels of deacons here, mercy and ministry. We're going to talk about that further at another time. Those some work from the church and some work to the church. From the church, that means you're out in the community. As we go out into um, 
our community in North Philly and we began to do all of the different activities we're doing. We want people to be deacons leading that, that they have, that they, that they understand their theology, but they also are committed to missiological orthopraxy and they have, they have specialists, they're specialists in different areas. This is dope, y'all. That means they're specialists with working with women, a deaconess that works with women. That, that helps with women. And another guy, that, another deacon that's maybe saying, hey, uh, 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 my, my theological role and practical role will be helping people recover from drugs. And that'll be a ministry from the church. Somebody else said, hey, I want to start multiple basketball leagues on behalf of the ministry all throughout the area. And I want to lead that, but I'm teaching theology and engaging through. Listen, I, the, the list goes on. But we, when, look how big the ministry net gets now that you begin to see it outside of just the pulpit. You begin to see deacons as a much bigger role. It's not a group of people that just come together to vote on stuff about the church. No, the deacons biblically are people who are active in doing work in the church and from the church. This is very important. When you look at Athanasius of Alexandria, Egypt. He was called the Black Dwarf. He went with Cyril of Alexandria to the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. Do you know that Athanasius as a deacon was able to refute Arianistic doctrine just as a deacon and not even a bishop or an elder or a pastor? So the history of deacons in history, they were animals at the book. And they, and they, and they, and they could practice truth. You look at Stephen. Standing in Pharisees' grills, talking smack. You understand what I'm saying? You got Phoebe in the middle of Rome, a metropolis in Rome, opening up her hold. And it says, all y'all who go over her crib and the church that's meeting in her house, do what she tell y'all to do. And facilitate whatever she needs to make the church win in Rome. That's what a deacon is. Now, when we talk about a deacon, it's a robust role in the church. It says wives here. Won't get into that. But <coughs> this actually should, the word, Greek word here is gune which means um, woman, it should be woman. How do I know that this should be woman instead of wife? This is, now, churches go different ways on this. Some people believe this is, the wives of the, this is the wives of the deacons. And then they have qualifications and roles. The challenge with that is why, did, why wasn't that done in the middle of the elder one? Which lets you know <coughs> that this is just talking about because the elder role is gender specific to men, the deacon role is gender plural with men and women. You see here, it uses the word gune, which now it's saying points really to deaconesses and women who can equally serve in the role and lead in different capacities in the church. Real simple, real simple, real simple. That, that, that's what it means. And it means she should be worthy of respect. She shouldn't be a slanderer. She shouldn't be gossiping. The, the, the word slander means it's the word uh, diabolos, where we get our word diabolical from. It literally says she shouldn't be diabolical. She shouldn't be devilish, malicious. We won't have to beat up women about that. But we're just talking about because, the, because in Revelation 12, 10, the, word the idea of diabolos is what Satan does to the believers. He accuses the brethren unrighteously. She should be self-controlled, same qualification as an elder, full of uh, faithful in everything, same qualification with elders, right? Then it goes back to deacons. Deacons are to be husbands, mias, gynecos, andros, faithful in their marriages. This is how also you know that it's not talking uh, that, that women can be deacons as well because it doesn't say the same thing about wives. Why? Because wives wouldn't have been polygamous. Men wouldn't have been polygamous. They would have been, they had polygynous society. 
They didn't, it wasn't just polygamy. Polygynous is specific to men. So, that, so that's how you know, again, that it's, it's gender specific, or, or gender plural, or, or, or different genders that can be deacons. Competent in this household, look at the rest of that for on elders, keeping your kids under control, right? Kids ain't all over the place, but you can order your crib, manage your household well. Look at elders on that. Look at this next part. It says, for those who have served well as deacons, acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. Um, why do they develop boldness? Because they're always out and about in the middle of the front lines of ministry as a lead servant. And we thank God for that role. It's a beautiful role that needs to be more robustly communicated in the church. So some of you may have a call to ministry and it may involve <clears throat> this. So based on everything above, do you sense a call to ministry? I want to offer that for you today. Do you sense a call to ministry? What specifically do you feel drawn to? Particularly if you're part of Epiphany Fellowship. I want you to answer these questions. They'll put them up. How has it played out in your ministry life, not just your mind? In other words, you being called to ministry and sensing a call to ministry, is it just you feel a call to ministry and it's in your mind? But how has it actually played out in your actual life, right? In what ways has God seemed to affirm your calling? As I close, remember, leadership is the willingness to take the initiative for the benefit of others. One of the things I like about the reality of the fact that leadership is the willingness to take the initiative for the benefit of others. One of the things that's beautiful about that reality is this family. Um, Jesus. <laughs> there it is. You know I got to talk about him. He took the initiative for all of our benefit. The question is, how did he take the initiative for our benefit? The Bible says that God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, which I had an organ. <laughs> that means that he took the uh, initiative to come from heaven uh, to earth. And uh, now nah, I ain't gonna do it to y'all today. But all I gotta say is, is that they hung him high and they stretched him wide and he dropped his head in the locks of his jaw. And then all day Friday it was dark and all day Saturday, but early, early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. I, I just had to do that today. Why? Because Jesus is the ultimate servant leader. That's all I wanted to say. He took the initiative. He didn't wait for us to get it right. He knew we couldn't. And the song says, he came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My debt to pay from the cross to the grave. From the gray to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. That's what we know. Our Savior moved heaven and earth to come take on an additional nature, humanity. Although he was found in the, he was existed in the form of God. He didn't view equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, 
but he was found in a likeness of a servant. And that's what he did. Became a servant for 33 years. 30 years of silence, three years of talking, six hours of death. Eternity for you and I, done. That's how you lead. And guess what? He's coming back to finish and to affirm his servant leadership by restoring everything fully in the kingdom. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, place your confidence in him today. The fact that he died on the cross for your sins. He came to serve you. How did he serve you? By dying for you, getting up from the grave. And guess what? You trust in him. Guess what? You're taking from spiritual disconnection to spiritual connection. And then you're put in line with walking through life with help. But not just life. Now, life and eternity. God bless you. Take care. Thank you for being with us. For those of you who are with us often, you know that every week we do communion. Communion is a time to celebrate our servant leader, Jesus Christ. We celebrate him. We celebrate his death and resurrection. So on the cross, on the cross, where we first found the light in the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight. Now I'm happy all the day. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, gave it to his disciples. This is my body, which is given for you. Let's eat together. He took the cup, said, this is the blood, blood of the new and everlasting covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us drink together. Father, I pray today that we in this country and in the church would look to you and see the example of the ultimate spiritual leader. God, we thank you. Servant leader. God, we thank you. God, we honor you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Have a blessed week. Amen. God bless you. Love you. Take care. Thanks for being with us. Shoot us a line. Tell us what God is doing in your life. God bless. Take care. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.